right, back to the Lord's Prayer tonight. Good to see you guys here. Small group here tonight, but uh, good to be together. I always love to hear you pray, Roy. Roy, just tender heart and uh, beautiful prayers. I didn't exactly get the joke of introducing him as uh, the father of Tom, right? But I know it's not a joke. It's true. I was like, Tom's a good guy. I wouldn't mind being introduced as the father of Tom. I mean, hey. Um, hey, so this morning was kind of cool. I got a surprise um, visit uh, at worship, second service from somebody from my hometown who I haven't seen in a long time. His younger brother, his name is Terry. His younger brother was like one of my best friends in high school. But So Terry is now married and with a lady named Julie, and so we went out to, to Chili's afterwards and met their little adopted daughter from China and their older daughter, and it was really cool and stuff, but Terry spent a good deal of his career as a bounty hunter, okay, yeah? His wife, Julie, is a bank examiner. So guess which one had the really interesting stories at lunch? Yeah, right. Oh, we went into that bank, and their documentation was so out of date. Wow! couldn't believe it. No, Terry's got some good stories and just this deadpan delivery, one story to the next. <laughs> Interesting stuff, but good to see him and, and uh, have some visitors in here over their spring break, and they were headed off to the Perot Museum this afternoon. All right, the Lord's Prayer. We started last um, week talking about the Lord's Prayer, um, and it's interesting. In English, we call it the Lord's Prayer. Everybody knows what you mean if you say that. In Portuguese, I started reciting it last week. In Portuguese, it is the Pai Noso, the Our Father, which I actually like that title better for that prayer because the Lord's Prayer, I mean, we're so used to hearing that, but it kind of sounds like proprietary. Oh, that's Jesus' prayer. Actually, it's our prayer. All right, he's praying to Our Father. That's ours. Jesus gave that to us. So, yeah, he prayed it, but he gave it to us. So I kind of like the Our Father, the Pai Noso. But it is... Um, it's an extremely powerful prayer because as we talked about yesterday in that phrase, our Father, that Jesus just opens us up to this world of a new relationship, a new kind of fellowship with God. It is a prayer that really changed things, redefined prayer, but more than that, redefined our relationship with God. Paul confirmed this blood-bought identity as children of God. He said in Galatians chapter 3 verse 26, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So it's for us. It's part of our inheritance in Jesus that we are children of God, sons and daughters of the King in Christ. We have this, not only a right to call God Father. I mean, we should call God Father our Father because that's who He is. That's the relationship that you enjoy with Him, that I enjoy with Him. And so last week, just to kind of refresh, we talked about four facets of that. If God is our Father, what, what does that mean for us when we pray to God, our Father? One thing we talked about, it means that He is our Father who is close, which fits in with the sermon this morning as well. Um, your Father is not distant, you don't have to yell. He's, he's right there. He's attentive because you're his child. Um, he's caring. Um, we see example after example of that in Scripture. He is constant, and that would be one of the distinctions as we think about our experience, some of our experiences with fathers um, versus experiencing God who is perfectly 
good, perfectly loving. We don't always have human experiences of fathers being constant. Um, But our God in heaven, our Father there, is constant. Um, And then he's capable. So we're praying to a God who is able to take care of, of anything that we might face. Now we know... I think we know what we mean when we use the word father. Sure, it's a little different understanding it in this context of God being our father. But we have some experiences with fathers here on earth and being fathered here on earth. We have an idea of what Jesus must mean when he shares God as our father in heaven. And we don't always have that kind of um, direct knowledge of, of, of what a word is saying, this one-to-one kind of idea. Oh, you're saying that? Then that means this. And, and tonight, we're actually going to encounter one of those words, hallowed, that I think is a little tougher for us. We hear that, and we're like, uh, you know, what, what does that mean? What's the importance of that? Um, and before we get there, it's interesting, some of the words, even some of the, um, some religious words or, or some theological words have changed meaning over time. And sometimes they're kind of slight changes um, in the old days, we used to talk about God being awesome. Now you talk about a hamburger being awesome, okay, or something like that. Um, so we've kind of changed the way we use words, and sometimes the meanings change. But sometimes the, the changes are not insignificant or incidental. The changes are, are pretty significant. And so here's just a few examples. Um, how about the word nice? You like being called a nice guy or a nice person? Well... Um, nice used to mean silly, foolish, or simple. Um, not exactly the kind of compliment you would want to receive from somebody. So that brings us to silly. Uh, meanwhile, silly went in the totally opposite direction. In olden times, silly referred to things that were worthy or things that were blessed. Um, and from there, eventually, it came to mean weak and vulnerable. And from there, it morphed into things that are foolish, things that, as we, we would call them today, silly. But it didn't used to be that way. Here's one that really is kind of, you talk about a change. How about awful? That place is awful. Um, awful used to be, or it originally meant worthy of awe. Something that was, was, was worthy of awe and reverence. And for a variety of reasons, um, I mean, that's how we get uh, phrases like in the King James, the awful majesty of God. It was a tremendous thing. It wasn't a, a bad thing, but now we don't use awful in that way, do we? Um, the word naughty. <laughs> this is interesting. Naughty or nice, right? Long ago, if you were naughty, it meant you had nothing. You had not. You were poor. You were destitute. Then, over time, it morphed into something that was evil or something that was immoral. And now it just means you're badly behaved. Your behavior is not good. Um, <laughs> I was just thinking of this as, as I was sitting there. I was thinking, anybody remember when the word gay used to mean happy? You guys remember that? Yeah? My hometown, Neosho, is I'm... I'm with uh, Terry this morning, I was remembering how we used to go to the skating rink in Neosho, Missouri. It was, not making this up, the gay way. When I was a kid, pretty much the only entertainment in Neosho, Missouri was going to the gay way. Another word that just totally has this all new meaning. Um, 
that it did not used to have. Well, the word in the text this, this evening is hallowed, and it hasn't so much changed its meaning. It's just not a word we're really all that familiar with. We, it has not fallen into some other vernacular. We don't call French fries hallowed or, or Disneyland hallowed. I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's difficult for us because we don't really have tangible life experiences that help us kind of kind of locate that word in what we have experienced. Um, So outside of God, outside of God's word, we're not really sure, and that makes it harder to understand it in God's word, right? Something being hallowed, which simply means to ascribe holiness to someone or holiness to something, Um, just not something we're going to use in conversation very much these days. So here we go, hallowed. In Matthew chapter 6, 9 to 13, here's the Lord's Prayer once again, or the Our Father. This then is how you should pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hallowed be your name, verse 9. So last week, that phrase, our Father, really is, is our way of approaching God, recognizing His nearness to us, the intimacy that we enjoy with Him. The phrase, hallowed, does something very different, doesn't it? Hallowed be your name acknowledges the differentness, the otherness of God, that, that God is holy, He is distinct, He is separate. God is truly in a class by Himself. So when I say, hallowed be your name, I'm in essence recognizing the differentness of God, the distinctness of God, who He really is. So hallowing something or someone means recognizing it as holy. As believers, we understand that the word hallowed can really only be applied to either God or something God has declared to be holy or something God has made holy. Um, Other than that, there's nothing intrinsically, there's nothing on its own that is holy except God. Um, So we recognize the separateness of God. So our Father... Hallowed, separate, distinct. And that's an important term, a very important term. I like what R.C. Sproul writes about this. Um, His observation just really, I thought, was, was interesting. He said, the Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that he is merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. It does say that he is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. Um, so in the Greek word, this, uh, in the Greek, this word holiness is agios or hagios. Um, in the bigger sense, it is something which is separate from everything else, from everything human, from everything earthly. Hagios conveys absoluteness. God is good. We throw that word around a lot. This is good, that's good, he's good, she's good, they're good at this, he's good at that. 
But God is good in an absolute sense. As Jesus says one time when someone calls him good teacher, he says, why are you calling me good? There's no one is good except God. Of course, Jesus is probably thinking, yes, and that, that's true of me as well because I'm God in the flesh. Um, but God is good um, not in the that was a good T-bone steak or that was a good game this afternoon. God is good in this different sense, an absolute sense. He is majestic and glorious and loving in a sense unlike any we would use to describe any person or any human experience that we would have. Holy is also, or hallowed or holy, is also used almost in a sense that it's synonymous with divine. And that's not a bad thing, that you can almost interchange those two things. Um, To be holy, to be divine, those are things that only apply to God. He's in a category by himself on those. So hallowing his name, recognizing it as holy, that's important when we pray because it is kind of an orientation, okay? It, It kind of sets me in the right direction. I know who I'm talking to. Uh, it, it puts the name of God as this north star pulling me forward. It is what I need, and it is unlike anything else I'm going to experience in the here and now. It is the uniqueness of God. Hallowed be your name. You are totally unique. Um, so when I pray, I'm recognizing, hallowed be thy name. I'm recognizing God is God. I'm not God. And nothing else is. So I elevate his name, and I acknowledge his holiness. And we see this elevation of God, this recognition of His status as being totally different, totally separate from all other throughout the Scriptures, right? I mean, for example, Exodus 15, 11, um, Moses records these words. Who is like thee among the gods, O Lord? Who's in your category? Who's at your level? Who's in your group? Who is like thee among the gods, O Lord? Who is like thee? Majestic in holiness. Awesome in praises. Working wonders. Now, Moses is not asking for an answer here. This is, these are rhetorical questions. Um, who is like thee? Nobody's like thee. Who is majestic? No, no one's majestic. Who's holy like you? No one's holy like you. Um, who's awesome? Who, who works the kind? No, no one does that. No one comes close. Um, and then 1 Samuel 2, verse 2, same idea. This separateness that comes with hallowing the name of God. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside thee. Nor is there any rock like our God. So when I say, my Father, hallowed be thy name, hallowed be thy name, or holy is your name, I'm acknowledging in the universe, starting with my world and then extending outward, there is no one like you, God. You're different. Um, Your name is, is my spiritual north star. So a few things here that I think we take away from hallowing God's name or the holiness of who He is, is first, His holiness, I think most obviously comes from His moral perfection. I mean, I think that's probably the first place we would think of, and it's not a bad place to start. His holiness comes from His moral perfection. God is sinless. Do you know anyone else who's sinless? No. 
separate in a class by himself. Um, sometimes per- perfection is not terribly important. I mean, you got a 96 on the exam. That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> sometimes it's terribly important. Sometimes it's very, very important. Sometimes imperfect is not enough. I read the story. I think there are probably a lot of stories to illustrate this, but this one kind of, I just, I was like, wow, what a difference one small imperfection makes. And it was one tiny, microscopic imperfection, almost imperceptible that led to, to a tragedy on a flight, a United flight from Denver to Chicago back in 1989. It was involving a fan disc on a DC-10's rear engine. It exploded mid-flight, 37,000 feet. It exploded, severed all of the hydraulic lines, which they say is a highly improbable event, Um, a billion-to-one kind of thing. And so, of course, the investigation that ensues afterwards, they're trying to figure out exactly what causes, what happened, Um, and they found that there is this titanium ingot that is used to manufacture that fan disc, and that this titanium, titanium ingot had this tiny imperfection that had weakened it. And it took 18 years. It took over 15,000 takeoffs and landings to discover the problem. Now, a jumbo jet at 37,000 feet with no hydraulics is um, a scary, scary situation. Scary, scary situation. Um, So this tiny bubble caused this enormous effect. Now, I wouldn't share this story, but there is kind of a good news ending to the story because of the crew's extraordinary extraordinary skill. A lot of people, in fact, the majority of people on board survived um, the, the landing, the hard landing of the aircraft. But when we think back to God, the hallowedness, the perfection of God, the flawlessness of God, that's really important. Because it is what makes God, God. Um, No flaws. Now, um, we can't say that about ourselves, obviously. So saying, hallowed be thy name, puts us in a posture of humility, puts us in a, a posture of desperation before God because we realize we're not worthy, we're not in that category, we're not sinless. Um, you're a loving father, yes, you're also completely sinless. Um, and flaws in our nature can be sort of like that small microscopic nitrogen bubble. I think they're probably quite a bit bigger than that, uh, more evident to those around us than that. But they may not show up for a long time. Uh, eventually, though, they will be exposed. As the Scriptures say, what is hidden will be brought to light. On the day of judgment, everything will be exposed. Um, no matter how well I've kept things swept under the rug or hidden, um, they're going to be exposed by God's holiness. Just as darkness cannot escape light, darkness vanishes My sin can't escape God's holiness. Habakkuk chapter 1.13 says, Your eyes are too pure 
to look on evil. This is an important verse, an important concept. It's not just a verse, but throughout Scripture. But the, the way the prophet says it, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. And I think as we approach Easter, as we approach a time when the world is going to be thinking about the cross, a lot of people wonder, why did Jesus have to die? Why was God so cruel to abandon His Son to that kind of death? It's because He can't tolerate wrong. His eyes are too pure to look on evil. Translation, if Jesus hadn't died, if Jesus hadn't gone to the cross, if Jesus hadn't atoned for our sins, we're toast. I mean, we're not showing up in the presence of God, and he's like, Gordon, for the most part, you're a good guy. You had some sin, but wink, wink, no problem. Come on in. He can't do that. His eyes are too pure to look on evil. He can't just tolerate or say, no big deal to our sinfulness. He wouldn't be God anymore. He wouldn't be holy anymore if he's just, eh, okay with evil with our imperfections. He couldn't just say, no big deal. Any more than you could take, you know, a a five-gallon jar of pure filtered drinking water and put a cup of Clorox in there and say, but it's only a cup of Clorox. Have a drink. You can't mix my unholiness, my sinfulness with the Lord. You can't bring my suitcases full of sin into the front gates of heaven and say, here I am. It just can't, he can't tolerate evil. That's, he's holy. So, this pulls us to Jesus, doesn't it? I think the holiness of God pulls us to Jesus, makes us love Jesus even more. Because I know I was destined for destruction. I mean, absolutely destined for destruction without the grace that I receive from Jesus, that we receive from Jesus, that covers our sin, that atones, that as, as Bob shared this morning in our communion meditation, that his righteousness is credited as, righteous, as our righteousness. And as Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, when you were baptized with Christ, you were clothed with Christ. God dressed you up in the righteousness in the perfection and the holiness of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is very good news. If you remember that verse that we recited last year at the end of our Sunday morning worship services, Jude 24, it puts it like this, To Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without fault before His glorious presence with great joy. So his holiness, it drives, us, it drives us to Jesus. And we are, in the word of Scripture, you don't question this. It's God's word. You don't need to feel guilty or I don't know about that. God has declared you to be without fault. Not because of your goodness, but because of Jesus. All right, number two. So holiness, um, the first thing is this recognition of his moral perfection. God doesn't blow it. Uh, Number two, God's holiness reminds me that He is not constrained by the forces that limit me. God is 
bigger than my needs. God is bigger than my problems. And that is good news. I think about that time. Jesus said a lot of shocking things. And I think many times as master of teacher, that's precisely what he meant to do. He meant to get people scratching their heads and going, what? Remember that time the, the, the young rich man comes to Jesus and what must I do? And, and oh, I've kept all those commandments since I was a little boy. And Jesus is thinking, sure you have. You know, <laughs> I know you haven't. Um, but Jesus says, okay, the only thing that's lacking is go and sell everything. Give it to the poor and follow me. And the young man went away sad and then Jesus could see his disciples so concerned and everything. And remember that little story Jesus said, he, or that Jesus told, he said, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter heaven. That was the moment where his disciples were like, what? Wealth was synonymous with the blessing of God. If you were wealthy, God must really like you. You're enjoying God's favor. They thought about people like Father Abraham and all the blessings that God had poured out in his life, prosperity and all of that. And Jesus comes along and says, you know, these wealthy people that you admire so much, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than one of those guys to get into heaven. And it was the perfect setup. <laughs> it really was. Because they're scratching their heads like, huh? Who gets to go to heaven? And Jesus has them right where he wants them, and he tells them in Matthew 19, 26, with man, this is, you're right, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So what looks impossible, it's not impossible because God's involved in the equation. When Sarah, remember Sarah, doubts the promise. She's like, are you kidding me? Have you looked at me? I am an old woman, and you're telling me I'm going to be pregnant, and I'm going to give birth to this child that's going to be this promised son through whom the entire earth is going to be blessed. She laughed at the promise. And the Lord said in Genesis 18:14, "Is anything too hard for the Lord?" Another rhetorical question. The correct answer is no. Is anything too hard for the Lord? By the way, they named their child Isaac. He laughs. Remembering how she laughed at that whole idea, the whole premise. Um, so they named their child Laughter. When we pray, we remember that he is holy. Um, and that means he's not subject to the lack of resources that we are subject to. He's not subject to the constraints, the limitations um, that we look at as being fixed. I mean, one of those for us is, what am I going to live? 79.3 years? On, I mean, that's kind of the average or whatever. Well, God is not subject to that. That's a pretty big limitation, pretty big constraint that we face, knowing that at some point our earthly existence here is going to run out. God doesn't face that. He doesn't face the constraints we face. Now, plenty of stuff is too hard for me, but not for God. So he's bigger, he's separate, he's in a separate category, and he's bigger than any problem or challenge I might face. And I've, as, as I've said before, I think our tendency when we go to God in prayer is to tell God how big our problems are. 
And maybe we need to start telling our problems how big our God is, right? Tell our problems how big our God is. Finally, number three, God's holiness stirs in me a spirit of worship and adoration. God is the one my soul delights in. He's the one my soul is looking for, the only one who can satisfy me on that level. Now, if you've ever been to London, if you've ever taken the the tube, the underground, then you've heard the phrase, mind the gap. Mind the gap. Um, Don't don't step in that gap. You know, don't get stuck in there. Step across it, okay? Um, Onto the train. And I, I, when I, every time I hear that, I think of God's holiness. I think of this, this gap, which is more than this gap. It is a, a chasm a mile wide, a canyon between who God is and who I am. And hallowed be thy name is a recognition of that. Here I am, there you are. Hallowed be your name. So it's a mindfulness of the distinctness of the separation between God and me. And so when I come to the Father in prayer, I recognize His holiness that drives me to my knees, that makes me want to worship Him because I see the, the awesomeness of who He is. So His holiness is a big reason that we worship Him. It certainly is the reason that no one and nothing else deserves to be worshipped because he alone is holy as the psalms say in psalm 105 verses 1 through 4 and we'll close here psalm 105 verses 1 through 4 give thanks to the lord call on what call on his name make known among the nations what he has done sing to him sing praise to him Tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his name. Let the hearts who, of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Let's stand and let's sing our own song of praise to the Lord.